Imagine what life would be like if you were just three and a half foot tall. It was particularly daunting a hundred years ago because most good jobs at that time required quite a bit of strenuous physical labor, and that could be challenging for somebody of such a small stature. But there was one big booming opportunity in show business. For Council Bluffs, Inez Brigand, that proved to be just the right ticket. Back, 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 back. Step into our time machine. Real stories of real people. Some good, some bad, some very strange. And all accidentally historic. At the dawn of the 20th century, it wasn't easy to find a job if you were just three and a half feet tall. The one booming business that beckoned was entertainment. Little people have been delighting audiences since show business existed. But it was P.T. Barnum's American Museum in New York in the mid-1800s that brought to the forefront how little people could make entrepreneurs big profits. Barnum gave his performers fake military ranks, royal titles, and created very imaginative backstories. Despite his diminutive stature, Barnum's tiny celebrity general, Tom Thumb, might well have been the biggest celebrity in the world, performing for Queen Victoria and Abraham Lincoln. There was also Commodore Nutt, who wore a naval uniform and traveled in a tiny carriage shaped like a walnut. When Dreamland opened in Coney Island in 1904, one of its more unique attractions was Midget City, located along the West Promenade. 300 Little People who had been scattered across the continent as attractions at various world's fairs, came to Dreamland to live in an experimental community. Many came from rural areas. Much of the country at that time had an agricultural economy, and a person of small stature couldn't contribute much to the laborious chores of the farm. Midget City was built at half scale as a replica of 15th century Nuremberg, Germany. Everything was built in proportional scale of the inhabitants. The little people had their own parliament, their own Midget City Fire Department that responded hourly to a false alarm, and their own beach, complete with midget lifeguards. There was also a midget theater, circus arena, diminutive horses, bantam chickens, and midget Chinese laundrymen. To accentuate the little people's size, a giant, or two sometimes, walked the area. During the park's off hours, the little people led a typical mundane family life. It was here that Jean Brigant and Inez Lewis first met. Jean came to New York from Austria, where he had already established himself as a singer and comedian. Inez came from Council Bluffs. Though Coney Island wasn't beyond exploiting human oddities as freak show displays, the role of the Brigants was quite different. This was no gimmick. They really were talented vaudeville entertainers. Inez was born in Denver, but was less than two years old when her parents moved to Council Bluffs. She attended 8th Street School just two blocks from her parents' home at 410 North 8th Street and began performing in school and church productions. Inez took the stage to perform a dance in Grace Episcopal Church's Alice in Wonderland, a production so successful it commanded a second performance. Inez was one of a half a dozen performers invited across the river to assist Omaha school children in their Alice in Wonderland production. The following year, she and another girl appeared as the dainty little Spanish dancers at an Orpheum Theater amateur night. 
Reviews of the performance of the English comedy Dads and Dollars at the Doheny Theater singled out little Inez Lewis as the hit. And she again charmed the Doheny audience as Eva in Uncle Tom's Cabin a few weeks later. By June of 1901, the Daily Nonpareil was calling little Inez Lewis a star in every sense of the word. Glowing accounts of her performances regularly appeared in the newspaper's entertainment pages. They deemed the dancing of Inez alone worth the ticket price to see the St. Paul Church Choir vaudeville program. The paper proudly followed her progress in New York, glowing that the clever little miniature actress whose home is this city heads the company of the Royal Lilliputians. Inez took a year off and returned to Council Bluffs to perfect her skills before returning to New York. She studied dance at the Chambers Academy on Broadway, opposite the Odgen Hotel, and was given a musical education by her mother, Eve. Jean Brigant was from Austria. Though just 45 inches tall himself, his parents and five brothers and sisters were normal size. He toured Europe under the name Prince Calibri. Jean met Inez when touring the American circuits in 1904. They paired up for a vaudeville act. She was on the program as a singing comedian. He was billed as a character comedian and a singer of comic songs. They were engaged one month later and teamed up for good with the marriage in 1905. The couple returned to Council Bluffs for the ceremony, which was held 3 p.m. Christmas Day, 1905, at the residence of the bride's parents on North 8th Street. She was 18. He was 35. The pair returned to show business for a year, but then decided to retire from the public eye and settle down. They came back to Council Bluffs and moved in with Inez's parents. Jean bought the grocery store on the corner of the block adjacent to the house on North 8th Street and went into business. This didn't last long. When purchasing candy for the store from the Woodward Candy Company downtown, their intelligence and charm struck the fancy of owner John G. Woodward, who had a marketing idea with them in mind. Woodward wasn't the first to use little people in advertising, but may well have contributed to what became a popular trend for the next couple of decades. Buster Brown's shoes had adopted a comic strip character as their advertising image a few years earlier and hired little people to play Buster in tours around the country. This came at the time when the trend was to introduce novelty in their advertising to attract consumer attention in what was becoming the highly competitive world of marketing. Woodward's approach was different in that the company treated the brigands with respect. What the company called the lightest weight and best proportioned couple in the world were photographed in adult poses and portrayed as sophisticated. Philip Morris's small bellhop really was a New York hotel bellboy, but most little people in advertising of the time were cast in roles that were childlike or that made a mockery of them. Little Oscar, the world's smallest chef, traveled the country in the Wienermobile, but played the role of one of the cute little folk rather than as a serious culinarian. Sunshine Bakers promoted their small bakers as the cutest little midgets you ever saw. Council Bluff's Dwarfy cereal followed this trend, though didn't employ human models. The Brigants served as more than an advertising gimmick. They were on the payroll as sales agents, servicing clients in 20 states. If the company's success during this period was related to the Brigant's promotional and sales abilities, they apparently were very good at what they did. The numbers tell the story. A five-story, 40,000 addition was added to the factory in 1910. The company was annually purchasing 20-rail carloads of shelled peanuts. 
produced 3,260 miles of stick candy and annually bought 5 to 10 million paper cups for bonbons. Woodward grew to be the largest candy manufacturer west of the Mississippi. The origin of the company traces to Council Bluff's early days. Pioneers were a hearty lot, but they did love their sweets. And there were many small confectionaries across the West. John G. Woodward became associated with one of those. He was born in Chicago in 1859, got a job with the Illinois Central Railroad, and ended up losing the tip of a finger in a work accident. Seeking a safer means of employment, he got a job as a traveling salesman with Kingsford Smith Starch Company. He chanced to meet Hattie on one of his calls to Council Bluffs, married her in 1883, and decided life on the road was not the best for a married man. Woodward settled down in Council Bluffs and went to work for a small confectionery and oyster house. Did we say oyster house? Referring to those aquatic creatures that live in the ocean over a thousand miles away? That's correct. Oysters were a mid-19th century fad. The nation was in the throes of an oyster craze. Virtually all principal towns and cities had some type of oyster parlor, oyster cellar, oyster saloon, oyster bar, oyster house, oyster stall, or oyster lunchroom. Council Bluffs was no exception. The town was crazy about oysters. Interesting to note, the local ads promoted the oysters as being fresh. Note that ad is from 1862. Council Bluff's first railroad didn't arrive until 1867. Just how fresh the stagecoach was able to keep the oysters on their long journey from the ocean seems debatable. But townsfolk badly wanted oysters, and enterprising entrepreneurs were only too happy to deliver the goods. Woodward bought full interest in the company in 1895 and changed the name to Woodward Candy. He phased out the oyster line and concentrated strictly on candy. The Woodward Company not only made candy, they created a whole new flavor, butter brickle. Their butter brickle candy was subsequently added to ice cream at the Blackstone Hotel in Omaha, creating a new ice cream flavor as well. Woodward kept adding to the factory as the business grew. He bought the property at 225 West Broadway in 1905 and expanded, brought the Brigants on board in 1908, and then expanded even more. Woodward promoted the brand heavily to wholesalers, retailers, and directly to the public. The Brigants were doing well and becoming part of the Council Bluffs business and social community. But imagine what living would be like if you were just three and a half foot tall. You'd have to reach up just to turn on a light switch or stand on a box to cook dinner on the stove. You may even need help to get into your own bathtub. But what if you built a house that was custom made to your size? That's exactly what they did. In 1908, Jean and Inez purchased the parcel of land just south of Inez's parents' new home on South 4th Street. In 1911, they began construction on their house. The home was completed in 1912 and was built to fulfill their needs. The interior of the home was specially designed to accommodate the physical stature of its new occupants. The fireplace mantle was to other people only about waist high, but to the Brigants, it was just right. The china cabinet, light switches, doorknobs, windows, bathtub, thermostats, and the other features were also scaled down. Locally, many people called it the dollhouse, but the doorways, ceilings, and such are all standard height. The couple had many friends. They liked to entertain, and all of their friends were normal height. 
So the house had to be made in such a manner that their guests were comfortable as well as the homeowners. The Brigants took over as operators of the candy department for the Beano department store in 1916. Jean Brigant embraced his adopted country wholeheartedly. Mr. Brigant was awarded citizenship in 1913. He left the candy business and turned his talents to real estate in 1922. We occupy the same piece of earth as the Brigants. Time is what separates us. That and vastly different worlds. Just what was their world like? Quite a bit different. Council Bluffs wasn't a bedroom community for Omaha. It was a prosperous and bustling manufacturing and railroad center whose growth seemed unstoppable. Some 30 companies distributed their goods from Council Bluffs, while others made elevators, train wheels, and farm implements for a national market. The country's first mail terminal opened in 1910 and the Pacific Fruit Express ice docks in 1915. Almost 2 million square feet of the city was under glass. The many greenhouses totaled 42 acres of coverage. Large first-rate retail establishments lined the downtown streets. The John Bino store was joined by Joe Smith and Company in 1905 and the People's Store in 1907. The Brigants embraced their bustling town and became very much a part of it. Both immersed themselves in civic activities. Jean was active in the Elks, Shriners, and even served as a baseball umpire. Inez was active in their church and a leader in a group whose mission was to establish clinics for prevention and treatment of blindness. They entertained regularly and were very much a part of Council Bluff's social scene. Jean passed away at the age of 75 in 1944. Inez lived to be 81. When she died in 1969, she left the couple's estate to the city of Council Bluffs. In 1974, a $43,000 Carillon was erected at Coil Point in honor of two of Council Bluffs' most memorable individuals. Being less than three and a half feet tall could easily make one feel bitter or cheated, but not the Brigants. On his 70th birthday, Jean offered this advice. Be friendly and wear a smile. Any person can find a happier road if he's willing to adapt himself. The Accidentally Historic Podcast is produced by the Historical Society of Pottawatomie County in Council Bluffs, Iowa. We're on the web at thehistoricalsociety.org and on Facebook at Council Bluffs Revealed. Muriel Wagner is our president. Kat Slaughter, our museum's director. The podcast is edited and narrated by Dr. Richard Warner. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Or find us at accidentallyhistoric.com. Local history. Some good, some bad, and some very strange. We'll look forward to sharing more of it with you next time on Accidentally Historic. (laughs) 